this idea that like suffering is good. You can't work too hard. And the truth is that, that that's not quite true, especially when you look at the sort of people that elite sport attracts. A lot of the time, it's people who are already willing to go above and beyond. So sometimes it's actually a case of like reining people in a bit and being like, okay, not so far today. Maybe you don't need to go hard today. Um, and recognizing that what's going on in your head does affect what goes on with your body as well. Welcome to the Propulsion Swimming Podcast, where we aim to give swimming the coverage and publicity it deserves. Every week, we celebrate the sport we love with amazing special guests and topics from around the swimming pool. And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Dan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott, and I'm joined, as usual, by my good friend, Dan. And for this week's episode, we are covering a topic very close to our hearts. Yes, a very important topic that we are going to be covering today. And as always, we do have a brilliant guest to help discuss all. Uh, it's a topic that isn't spoken anywhere near enough and is actually a very serious problem. Yes. So if you don't know what we're talking about or haven't looked at the title of this podcast, <laughs> um, we are talking mental health in line with Mental Health Awareness Week here in the UK. So both me and Dan have unfortunately lost a former teammate and friend to mental health. And I myself have openly discussed my challenges with anxiety on this podcast for previous Mental Health Awareness Week episodes. Um, so it really is a topic that we will forever discuss and promote as part of this journey. It is, yeah. It's a massive ethos for us here, isn't it? We check in yeah. on each other all the time, something I hope listeners do with their teammates. Uh, and for this episode specifically, we're going to also be touching upon body image too. Yes. So... I guess at this point, we should welcome on our very patient guest. So for today's episode, we are joined by City of Sheffield swimmer, Amber Keegan. Amber, welcome. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, very excited to be here. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I think a really good place to start, Amber, is let's kick things off um, a little bit lighter, but let's start with yourself and your own journey through swimming. So people have a little bit of a background about yourself before we get into our conversation today. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I'm based at the city of Sheffield now. Um, I've been here for seven years, which is a little bit terrifying. Um, I moved <laughs> to do a master's in chemical engineering and I'm now doing my PhD. Um, and before Sheffield, I was based in Nottingham. So not too far down the road um, at Nova. And yeah, mental health is a really important topic for me as well, um, particularly in sport. So myself, along with kind of seven other athletes, recently founded a not-for-profit called Athlete Interactions. Um, and kind of our, kind of two of our main goals really are to kind of help decrease the stigma in sport, um, stigma of mental health in sport, that is, um, and also to hopefully try and increase support for athletes as well. Um, yeah. Definitely it's, is. Yeah, it is very important. So wh why is mental health and body image such an important topic for yourself personally, if you don't mind touching upon it? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, there's a lot of reasons and I could talk forever, but um, I'll try and keep it brief. So the first one is participation. So this isn't just like about elite athletes or even just about swimming, um, but mental health and particularly body image kind of for girls, especially kind of going through puberty. Um, it's one of the contributing kind of factors to young athletes dropping out of sport in general um, and kind of 
yeah, the more we talk about it and discuss it, hopefully the more we can prevent people dropping out of the sport for these reasons. Um, and secondly, kind of my own journey through swimming hasn't been easy. Um, anyone who knows me or follows me on Instagram will know that I'm quite open about that. And I've struggled a lot with depression and with an eating disorder. And through a lot of that, I just felt really, really alone, um, particularly kind of within the sporting world and then trying to kind of be this performer while kind of my head is not performing for me day to day. And it's, it's really challenging and really lonely. But if I can just help a few people even feel like it's a bit less lonely, um, then great. And then thirdly, kind of we talk about mental health and easy. I think it's somehow people can sometimes switch off and think I don't have a mental illness. This isn't about me. And that's not really true because firstly, we all kind of interact with people every day and we'll interact with people who have mental illness without knowing it. And then secondly, we all have mental health. Like we can all kind of work on ourselves to just be a bit kind of more filled or happier or just be able to cope with those kind of challenges life throws at you a little bit better. So I really think it is a topic for everybody every week of the year as well. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, in a nutshell. Yeah. In a nutshell, yeah. I mean, a there's so much there's so many questions we want to ask about it. I mean, first of all, you founded a charity, which you mentioned a minute, uh, just a second uh, ago. So we're not for profit, just to clarify. We aren't incorporated yet. That is a goal yep. for the future, but yeah. I see. So what do you do? What is the aim exactly? So um, I guess just a tiny bit about where it started firstly. So okay. I was on a program last year called the Women's Sport Trust Program. Um, it mm. was an Unlocked is the name of the program. It brings together athletes, trains your work, kind of helps you make a difference in the things that matter to you. Um, and for me and some other athletes, that was mental health. Um, so what we've started to do is, um, it's early days, but kind of talk to athletes, work out where the problems lie, um, and then also approach kind of larger sporting bodies, um, kind of, I won't kind of officially name any yet, but kind of the working with the larger organisations that can have a big impact. Um, and we're not trying to pretend we're mental health professionals. We're just trying to give the athlete voice. And we are working with people who are trained in mental health and can give that side of input um, as well. But yeah, awareness work and like increasing support if we can. Yeah, yeah, I th I think it's um it's definitely getting a little bit better at the elite end of sport that the conversation around mental health is certainly starting. You said your Instagram, um, you you're very open about it, and I honestly mm. admire you for doing that. And if anyone is interested in following you, we'll we'll put all that information in the description. Um, but it, even though it has gone a long way, it is still kind of seemingly quite hard to talk about mental health when it is in regards to sport. Why, why do you think that is? I think there's a lot of reasons and these will kind of vary across clubs and across geography and, and all things like that. But if I think about a few in my own life that I've either experienced or observed in other people, um, I think firstly, there's this kind of, and this is one thing that's changing for the better, this idea that like suffering is good. You can't work too hard. And the truth is that, that that's not quite true, especially when you look at the sort of people that elite sport attracts. A lot of the time, it's people who are already willing to go above and beyond. So sometimes it's actually a case of like reining people in a bit and being like, okay, not so far today. Maybe you don't need to go hard today. Um, and recognizing that what's going on in your head does affect what goes on with your body as well. Um, kind of if your your head's kind of under a huge amount of stress at all times then your body isn't going to be able to give quite as much as it might when you're in a bit more of a relaxed state um I think secondly 
as athletes, day in, day out, we're expected to turn up, give our best and perform. And that's great. And it makes us kind of incredible. It gives us the skills for life that I really value. But sometimes I think it's hard to say, put your hand up and be like, I really don't feel so good today. And I'm not sure I can give 100%. Um, mm. And I think that that's something that's slowly getting better. But in a lot of environments, I think it's, it's still difficult um, to kind of admit that. Um, yeah, it's, it's still hard to kind of show weakness. definitely Mm. yeah and that's where kind of role models come in as well isn't it and if you're not seeing Mm. the people around you like role models don't just have to be people on tv like if the people around you aren't being open about their rough days you're not going to feel able to be open about your own rough days um i think that's a problem with elite sports in general you look at let's say i don't know picking a name out of thin air is michael jordan he's not supposed to have these human problems because he's looked at as some sort of god you're not supposed to have these feelings and any any sort of human human feelings or anything like that but um yeah it's it's, it's a difficult one how, i don't know how you how do you deal with it exactly i think for me it was really hard but i kind of just had to accept and it's funny this is something <laughs> so um, yeah, I'll name drop him. So Jamie Main used to coach me back when I was at Nova. And, and I, I remember I was really disappointed one day with one of my spins at uh, Winter Short Course Nationals. And I was chatting to him about it. And he just looked at me and he went, Amber, you're not superhuman. And it's that, it's that in a nutshell, like some days, I might have to accept and I think everyone does if there's things going on in your life that you're not going to be 100% on every day and it's just about taking the little things you can do so if my head's in a complete mess and I'm going through a really rough time and I turn it to training and I'm like god like my head's in two places here I'm not sure how much of a good job I can do I'll just pick like one little thing and be like okay I know that my times might be a bit off today but can I just hit every turn right um and if I don't like cut myself some slack there's 365 days in a year you can't be on for 365 days um and then secondly talking about it I still don't always like doing it, but it's one of the things that the more you do it, the easier it gets. And if you've never started talking about your mental health, you're not going to believe anyone who tells you you should talk about it. That's Mm. a step you have to take by yourself and like, try it. One day, just try it. If you're feeling rubbish, don't tell people, yeah, I'm feeling good. How are you? Like, just say, do you know what? No, I'm not feeling great today, actually. And like, what have you got to lose by trying that once? And Mm. yeah. Definitely. Yep. I, that, that's a really important piece of advice. Should we touch upon a little bit more about your personal journey with, you said, eating disorders yeah, and body image? Because we did say we would touch upon body image in this podcast. So when did you almost notice it as an issue? Was, was there a trigger almost where it suddenly set alarm bells in your mind? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think firstly, it's And this is something I only recognized after the fact, like Mm, I really struggled with perfectionism my entire life. And especially where mental health is concerned, that's manifested in a lot of different ways for me, literally for as long as I can remember, like back being at school and like even being like 10, 11, 15, 16, they're a really rough patch. But the time that that kind of came out as an eating disorder, um, it was 2017 and I'll take like the two parts of the question separately. So there was, mm-hmm. that was kind of how did, how did I notice? And then uh, kind of what contributed. So in terms of how did I notice, I didn't notice my own eating disorder. I just thought I was kind of, I don't even know what I thought I was doing. I wasn't aware of it though. And it took the people around me 
specifically my nutritionist at the time sitting me down and being like do you understand how harmful what you're doing is and do you understand that this isn't sustainable and that you can't train like you want to like this and that that was the kind of conversation that made me realize oh this really is a problem and it kind of effectively took the team around me coming together to say if you don't sort this you're not getting back in the pool the way you want to um, and that for me was the thing that made me take a step back and actually go and get help. Um, it was almost like a form of braggery, but it kind of worked for me. Um, but I also think it's important to note that that wasn't the first conversation that had happened. Conversations had happened previously and people had gone, Amber, are you having a problem here? And I've been like, no, I'm great, thanks. How are you doing? And it took like a few conversations for that to be one that actually got through to me. Um, mm -hmm. So that was kind of the noticing side and if I can also add to that, sorry to, for the long answer, but no, no, when I initially right. sought help for my eating disorder, I thought it was going to be a really quick fix. I was like, mm. I've got this little bit of a problem, but like, I can definitely turn this around in a few weeks or a few months. And it took me a lot longer. I didn't realize how, how kind of, how much of a hole I was in. And I think that applies to not just eating disorders, but all mm. mental health. You don't realize quite how far you've fallen until you start trying to climb out of that hole. <laughs> and it's only when you get to the top and you're feeling great and on top of the world again, you can look back down and be like, how was I surviving? But at the time I didn't, I didn't realize it took the people around me stepping in and helping me out of it. And <laughs> you can probably hear in my voice, but like I had and still have the most amazing team around me mm. that supported me through every step of the way. And I think yeah. that's one thing sport is great for. You have a network, you have kind of teammates, you have kind of coaching staff, you have people that keep you accountable every day. Um, and I think that, you know, sport maybe sometimes rubs us the wrong way where mental health is concerned, but it, it can be great as well. Um, yeah. I, I think if we, if we, before the second part of that question, which is kind of what the problem was, I think let's touch upon obviously the message to everyone should be if you are you think you're struggling reach out and help someone but in terms of your team around you and your parents your friends if you are one of those people if you're part of the team how is it best to approach someone who is in your situation let's say if you're worried about someone and you think exactly, they've got a problem, exactly. i think firstly I am just a swimmer. Like there are loads of dietitians are a really good kind of um, look for a dietitian with advice on this. Don't just take my word for it. Go to a professional. There is so much information. Like if social media is good for one thing, there are so many professionals giving their advice for free. Like just have a double check that you're actually looking at a professional account, not just kind of someone kind of masquerading as a dietitian. But um, yeah, use those free resources because that they were things that I gave to the people around me to help them with me. Mm. Um, as for kind of just from my personal experience, if I'm speaking that way, um, I think it's really difficult. Um, and I definitely would not say I have all the answers or I'm always 100% kind of confident in holding those conversations because the person on the other end has to be be ready for you to step in, especially if you're coming from a friend because you've kind of got this, you want to tell them you're worried about them and you might want them to even get help but also you can't come in too hard or you're going to kind of completely push them away um i think the way that it worked best when people approached me was less of a i'm worried about you and more it was how are you feeling right now amber 
And those were the questions that got through to me when nothing else did. People could tell me, I'm not sure you're eating enough. And I'd be like, yeah, whatever. But when people were like, are you doing okay? And are you feeling anxious about food? And is there any food that makes you feel scared or guilty? Um, or kind of, how are you feeling about kind of going for this meal out with the team? Like, those are the sorts of questions that got through to me when people, mm. instead asking, is everything all right at the minute? That wouldn't have got through. And it's slightly, it's yeah. slightly more of a kind of specific, almost conversation starting question Definitely. rather than dropping a big bombshell. Yeah, so. because, yeah, you kind of, you have to realise it yourself mm. in order to actually take the olive branch and accept help. You, you have to kind of, yeah. And those conversations, I don't think, anyone trying to have them I don't think you can go in and expect on the first try that someone's going to turn around and be like do you know what yes and then trust you with this huge kind of truth bomb that they might not have even realized themselves or accepted themselves yet um mm. and yeah it's hard it's just, I think it's so much harder for guys boys because they are not willing to speak about feelings because they see it as a sign of weakness yeah. and I don't know how you would approach a guy with that sort of mentality and say, how is your, if they have an eating disorder, for example, how would you approach a guy? It's very well, different to girls, I think. I mean, I, yeah, I think it's equally as important that we talk girls and boys because I'll openly admit on here, body dysmorphia is something that I still struggle with. Um, I was speaking to Dan before this podcast and I'm right now open water swimming because I'm in a wetsuit. I feel quite safer in a wetsuit rather than, in a pair of speedos it's like especially after coming out of swimming it's quite hard watching my body change mm. so yeah boy i think boys are equally important in this conversation as yeah. the girls journey as well i mean it affects people it affects everyone differently doesn't it um i just it depends how you want to approach you've got to know the person beforehand of course um where do, where do you reckon mentality the mentality of being body shames originally comes from again it's going to be different where, where do you where would you say yeah. I think it comes from everywhere, really. And I don't say that to try and be pessimistic. But like, if I think back to being a kid, even before I was even kind of conscious of my own body, like I'd be stood kind of with my friends and their parents at the school gates. And like, mums would be stood chatting about what diets they were on or complaining about their mm. bodies. And like, when I looked back, like I've got those memories as early as like six or seven. And I'm not blaming anyone. I don't think that's anyone's fault, kind of like everybody, but especially women were kind of bombarded with these images of what you should and shouldn't look like in this marketing, trying to kind of sell you products to kind of lose weight or make your skin clearer or just fix all of these things about yourself. So like, I would never ever blame anyone for kind of body shaming themselves, but that is kind of where the cycle, the cycle starts. And I think it's so easy with social media to compare yourself to other people. And I think there's so many things that are great about social media, but I think that's a really scary and potentially kind of quite, quite dangerous um, side to it as well. Um, yeah. I think clubs should be proactively talking about social media, whether it's how like the positive aspects, how, where you can grow a brand if you're looking at really going far in the sport, whether you just need to be quite aware that posting bikini shot of yourself isn't it might feel good for you but it could also bring bringing down a teammate that's that sort of thing i think there's the openness of conversation about social media that clubs should maybe be running workshops and getting people to come in and just explain a little bit more about the power of instagram the power of tiktok 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I guess I'm, I'm a person that considers myself quite switched on to all this stuff. Mm. And sometimes it still makes me feel absolutely rubbish. So yeah. I, I really can't imagine like trying to go through my teens with this around. Like there's definitely not a time in, I don't think, a time in your life when you feel less secure than when you're a mm -hmm. teenager. So I can't imagine kind of having to go through social media as a teenager. Um, yeah. It's difficult when you don't know what's reality because so much of it is fake pictures because it's all photoshopped or fake news and anything anyone can update like Wikipedia so it can all just be fabricated. <laughs> so it's it's <laughs> difficult. So it's I just I don't know what the best way to alert <laughs> you know youngsters on social media. I like the idea of doing workshops. I think that's probably a good idea, but it's it's a it's not going to happen overnight. No, and I think that, I mean there are ways you can kind of take it back in control for yourself. Like for me, when I was recovering from my eating disorder, especially like seeing images of other people's bodies all the time was a real problem for me. And like, I want to stress it, like that's not a problem. Like people post what you want, but like I just couldn't deal with it at the time. So I kind of, um, after much kind of resistance, I guess, I kind of sat myself down and I kind of changed the way I use social media. So I unfollowed a load of accounts that made me feel rubbish. I followed a load of accounts that kind of challenged me in some way. So whether that was dietitian accounts or like a load of fat people who were kind of really kind of, I guess, hammering home to me something I hadn't realized about just kind of how fat phobic society is and just like trying to get those diverse views in your feed and trying to use it kind of for good and like following hashtags like mental health matters or like mm -hmm. um I quite like the like uh, like anti-diet kind of like hashtags and but something that just maybe you know as you're flicking through those images and you're like I feel rubbish 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 oh I feel good like just you know <laughs> that side of things but, um, yeah, yeah. We we've we've kind of gone off on a tiny little bit of a tangent and kind of avoided talking about the topics. So it's not a bombshell question, but what are the behaviours that we need to pay attention to in our friends and around us when we're considering eating disorders? What should we be looking up looking for? Yeah, there's quite a lot and they're different for everyone and I don't have a list in front of me right now so I'm definitely going to miss them off um so just another like That's please fine. listen to a professional not just me um but kind of if I think back to kind of things people noticed in me at the time um I mean I was losing weight but it's really important to stress that that's not a requirement um and it's not a requirement to be skinny either I think it's 95% of people with eating disorders would not be classed as like underweight with BMI. So like just throw that idea out there because it's like really harms people getting help. Mm -hmm. um, but kind of, I touched on this earlier, like the emotional ones were the, the ones that got through to me most. So kind of guilt, anxiety, stress around food. Um, those three in particular kind of like they're not necessarily eating disorders. You could have like a disordered rela disordered relationship with food. So uh, in medical terms, like eating disorder is kind of like the higher, worse cutoff. But like, mm. that doesn't mean you shouldn't try and seek help if you're just feeling a bit rubbish about everything about food. Like you still deserve that. Like you are bad enough if, you're, if your life is impacted, you are bad enough to seek help because I think mm. that's a huge, huge barrier. Um, and then things like being tired all the time, not having enough energy, you might be getting more cold than usual. Um, I have not been cold in a swimming pool for like two years and it is amazing. I used to like shiver all the way through sessions and like was just convinced I'd always been like that and that was a lie. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's amazing. Life on the other side is great. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what, that, I, wouldn't thought, I, w- I wouldn't have thought about that. That's actually a really interesting yeah. kind of... Yeah, but that's, yeah. But then again, that's kind of an, I don't know. It's a hard one because again, yeah. you might not feel that if you're not actually underweight, but kind of those, I don't know, are you avoiding socials because you don't want to eat in front of people? Are you tracking calories? And then getting stressed if you like miss a food or you mm. haven't recorded something, kind of. Yeah, there's there's certain or, apps that I would very quickly ban if I could. <laughs> Rest days as well is a big one. I think especially mm. in sport, we can almost get. And again, this isn't just eating disorders. This is kind of like Red S as well. Which, if people haven't heard of what Red S is, it's relative eating. Rel- sorry, relative energy deficiency in sport. So that's basically are your training needs kind of higher than you're fueling yourself for? And specifically kind of relating to kind of elite sport, not wanting to take rest days. I think it's really easy to mask disordered behavior in the kind of guise of like, I'm just trying to be a better athlete. I want to do an extra session. I want to make all of my sessions a thousand meters more. I want to go hard and I shouldn't be going hard. I've got a day off. I'm going to go for a run. Like that is not a helpful mm. behavior. That is a, mm. that is a harmful behavior. Um, it's going yeah, back to the really message difficult. of almost forgiveness, isn't it? You're, and it, yeah. it's not a sign of weakness to give yourself a break and to have a rest. Yeah, and, definitely. And it, like it's not weak to speak out if you've got a mental health problem. Um, yeah. all, all of them linked together is all about being kind to yourself. Essentially it's, yes you're looking to be an elite athlete you're looking for high performance but you're allowed to forgive yourself you're allowed to be kind it's really hard to be kind yourself sometimes actually Mm. um yeah like it's so much easier to just beat yourself with a stick and be like oh i'm rubbish oh i'm not good enough oh i should have done this i should have done that i'm not as good as them they're better than me it's really hard to sometimes be like you know what it's okay like i forgive myself for swimming slow in that race it yeah. doesn't make you care less about swimming it doesn't make you less of an athlete it just means you have a better relationship with yourself like, yeah. well, well maybe maybe a good body image day should be talked about just as much as a bad one yeah yeah i was, I like, I was yeah. gonna say we've talked a lot about negative mental health there's also the positive aspect i think yeah. almost normalizing a good day and and yeah praise well not normalizing but praising a good day is something that should be celebrated a lot more yeah for sure yeah i remember when i kind of one of the things I, especially when I was going through eating disorder recovery, that was when I realized just how much like negative body talk there is around you. And like, I'd never really noticed that before in my life because it hadn't been a problem for me. But all of a sudden when I was coming out the other side of an eating disorder and I was really having to try and keep myself on on track as much as possible. And I didn't manage it every day. And that's another thing I had to forgive myself for. But Mm. yeah, kind of actually trying to actively be like, no, do you know what? I'm okay with my body today. And Mm. it like, it's little things like I was at a wedding once and there was just a group of people and they were all just kind of obsessed with talking about like the things they hated about themselves. And I was just like, look, we, can we, can we not? And that was really hard. And I felt really silly. Like my face was warm from suggesting to these group of people, could we kind of not talk about things we didn't like about ourselves? But like, it's difficult to do, but it should be done more because the more we can normalize, like actually being honest when we feel good about ourselves, I think the easier yeah. also is to be honest when you're not feeling so good. See, I don't know if we're attracted to negativity. I don't know if that's just a British thing. We're so negative about the weather and stuff like that. I don't know if <laughs> I don't know what it is, but if we try and be more positive, people almost like frown upon it. It's like, why are you being so nice? Why are you smiling today? You should be, you know, upset about something, you know. So I, I think we should definitely be more positive. 
I think we should I think we're mistrustful. That. We're mistrustful of positive things mm. in this country. Like I don't know. This is again just from personal experience, so it could be complete coswallop. But um, like I have noticed that with my friends who are not from Britain as well, a lot of them are a little bit like, "Why?" Like I'm not surprised you guys have such prevalent mental health problems in this country. Like you're all kind of so so miserable about things all the time, and it's like. Do you know what? Maybe they have a point. Maybe that's total rubbish, but maybe they have a point. Like some of it is culture. Yeah, but. just pessimistic as a as a society. Yeah, yeah. self depreciating, <laughs> but to a fault. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, so, Amber, yeah. I know you've been very kind to open up and talk about your own journey today, but the unfortunate fact and why we've done this podcast is it isn't just you suffering with eating disorders and mental health problems um there is quite a high prevalence in sport that isn't discussed enough so just how prevalent is body image and mental health in sport yeah i mean i assume i can drop the links to these studies in the show notes so there's a couple of really interesting studies actually i mean there's loads out there if you literally just google scientific paper mental health sport um kind of there was like a 2018 study done on uk athletes and like they found that 40 like nearly 48 percent of athletes reached the cutoff criteria for a depression and or anxiety disorder um and that prevalence was slightly higher in women than men but like as we've talked about like guys are often a lot less willing to open up about it so kind of yeah it's it's a lot and that's kind of obviously depression and anxiety are the kind of most talked about mental health problems and mental health kind of struggles but there are so many others out there that don't get as much kind of airtime but are just as kind of just as Mm. difficult for people who experience perhaps more difficult kind of like I guess like schizophrenia and OCD and bipolar these are all things that aren't talked Mm. about as much as depression and anxiety and I don't have any of those but I can only imagine that it's kind of more lonely because of it um Mm. but kind of eating disorders which I do have experience with kind of um one of the studies I found so it's like a real range because it's quite hard to judge but it found in aquatic sports um which obviously swimming is um kind of somewhere between 18 and 45 percent of women and kind of up to 28 percent um of male athletes um struggled with either disordered eating or an eating disorder as well and those are just like two numbers out there. Like people can find other ones. But just to give you an idea, like this is not just me and this is not just a few people. This is like a huge proportion. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, really important for all of us to understand more about that. The yeah, stats I, are scary. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I'd almost say swimming struggles with um, almost the nakedness of the sport because you are, you're very open as mm. an athlete. So there's definitely so. I would definitely miss them off here, but there's certain categories of sports where things like eating disorders are much more prevalent. And they're like gravity-based sports, like cycling and running, where like your your weight directly correlates mm. to like your output and your speed. Um, mm. Like aesthetic sports or kind of like swimming, diving, like, like you said, you're on display. Um, and then like anything where you have to make a weight cut as well, like understandably that can create problems, um, mm. like weightlifting, rowing, things like that as well, yeah. 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 Is, there, is there any way that, we can almost overcome that as a sport that has the problem of being very on display. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are so many ways, like on an individual level, like I've overcome it, like anyone can. Mm. Um, And I think firstly, like things like this, just talking about it, like Mm. I know 
a lot of the time I, I do say like we need more than awareness and that is so true but we also need awareness like in a lot of communities like it, the awareness isn't there especially when you're looking at younger athletes people kind of almost dismiss them I think you get taken more seriously when you're as old as me and you can articulate yourself a bit better but like youngsters I think almost struggle more from the awareness side of things um and then yeah like action as well like there is not enough support kind of there are so many people and I get messages like more frequently than I would like that absolutely break my heart when people go I really relate to you I've been there I am there I can't get help like what do I do and it's like I can't help you in this situation like I speak about these things from my own experience but there really is not enough funding out there for everybody that needs help to be able to get help um and that's like not a problem that we can solve and that's quite scary and really upsetting sometimes but um yeah kind of there are people that hopefully can provide money to do this like we've spoken about how it's a problem in sport like how amazing would it be to see swim england or british swimming be able to kind of have a pot of money aside because it's in everybody's interest to keep more swimmers healthy um, and as we said this affects elite athletes and also grassroots and upcoming athletes as well yeah, I'm having a flashback to our swimming parents support talk with Hannah Miley, where we were talking about female health yeah. and how she really hopes that almost the stigma around it is taken out of clubs by having workshops, having conversations, especially with opposite genders about the problems that they might be having. And it's about clubs being proactive with all sorts of issues as well as female yeah. health about body image. And there was also having one person at the club who is almost the support officer or the welfare yeah. officer. And if mm. clubs are to invest any money in any, um, any staff outside of kind of the swim coaching team, I would say that's probably maybe slightly more important than like a nutritionist, a physio, I think a welfare officer at this point, yeah. someone where it is a safe person to speak to for any club, especially for like a 13 year old swimmer, having someone that they know they can go to that person. That is their point of call if they are having any sort of problem. Mm. Yeah, that would be game changing. Mm. Um, have you heard of GoVox? I have, yeah, because AP are doing some really good stuff with them. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know they were. That's amazing. Um, so I guess for people that haven't heard of them, um, and I've never used this personally, I actually heard about it um, on Kevin Pickard's podcast. You know, you work with him as well, mm, but yeah, the yeah, Rogue yeah. Monkey Pod. Um, so it's basically an app that helps um, kind of whoever's in charge, I suppose, to prioritise the most important conversations is how they do it. So it's basically like a super quick questionnaire that you can fill out just about well-being. And it just mm. means that like if anybody's struggling and they're honest on the questionnaire, then kind of it's almost like a little red flag just to the person who oversees all of it to say this person could possibly use like a quick a quick chat today um but mm. like have a have a look at them don't just listen to my really bad <laughs> summary um we're um this weekend we've got a parent support live stream with kev about mental health so we will be sure to bring that topic up and we'll link it yeah. everywhere as well yeah. um I, I like the idea of an app on top of a person especially with um kids growing up being attached to their phone that is their safe route essentially that that will be the relatable one rather than going up to a, someone at the club and speaking that that might be more 
And sometimes you just need something to like kickstart mm. that conversation. Kind of like mm. clubs can do this on their own. Like you don't even have to to necessarily you pay for something. You can literally just send out a Google form questionnaire. Like, how are you feeling mm. today? One to five. Like, and I'm, can you automate those yet? I don't know. But like, there's ways to do it. There's ways to make sure that there's almost like, like you say, just something to start that conversation mm. because it's really hard to go. I'm struggling to another human, but it's a bit easier to just tap a button that says meh. <laughs> And have someone you, approach you and go, what's this about? I tell you what, I'm fairly good with tech and I will put some time aside if clubs want to reach out for me, for me to sort that sort of thing out. That, that's no problem, whatever. See, as long as people are honest. Because <laughs> if, if like younger kids, let's say 12, 13, 14, they're more likely to just say, yeah, I'm fine, just to get through it and get it out of the way, especially boys I don't again. Know, you know, so, I feel like, I I feel like the younger changed. generation are even more switched on. Mm. I feel like they're more educated about mental health than I was at their age, thanks to social media. And yeah. I'm I'm not sure that assumption holds. Or you run into safeguarding with under 18s though, and obviously parents have to be involved in a lot of these things, yeah. which as they should be. Um, yeah. So we've we've kind of spitballed this whole podcast, some ideas, some conversations, some personal experiences. But I hope everyone can take away from this that it's okay to speak out and have a conversation. Because yeah. Amber's discussed she had quite a tough time going through swimming and eating disorders and she's able to come onto this podcast and openly discuss in quite a light-hearted and fun manner what is a very serious topic and explain that it is okay to talk about these things. I mean I've experienced going through counseling when my parents split up and the the lift off my chest or the pressure off my shoulders from just speaking how I felt felt I it literally changed everything i had to have three months out of the pool because everything was so on my chest and i had to let it out and ultimately it changed me completely and so we really do recommend that people everyone kids adults speak about their feelings and if we can do an app like there is an app and we'll speak to your best friend just speak out how you're feeling and because it does the water good it really does yeah i guess i I want to say a massive thanks to amber for coming on to this podcast as well Mm. um she's I will say behind the scenes has put in a lot of research for this topic as well so that everyone knows stats, they know where to go to. Like we said throughout the podcast, we will put links for where people can get help, where there's more topics of discussion if people want to learn more. Um, We will put those in these podcasts. But Amber, let's end on a fun note because you are an elite swimmer and we do usually do quick fire questions. (laughs) escaping these <laughs> no no no, no. <laughs> so okay. how are you ready to go now. i'm ready so what is your favorite event the 4am it's fun you get to do every stroke it's interesting even to watch it's my favorite event to watch as well anything can happen <laughs> i do not have a single bit of twitch in my entire body like my 53 pb is from an 800 <laughs> Damn. <laughs> that is incredible. Okay. okay. Um, who is your swimming idol? Um, to be honest, I've always really liked tangible idols, like all the way through my life. Kind of, there's people like Hannah Miley, who we mentioned earlier, is someone I've always looked up to, and like the Belmontes of the world. But I've never really kind of super idolized anyone I haven't known. It's always been the people around me, like in my 
training group and like even back when I was like nine years old it was the people who were like 13 years old that I was like looking mm. up to more than anything so to not give a name but just long-winded answer I bought it quick fire as you can tell <laughs> no 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 that, I like that answer interesting um what's your proudest moment in swimming um I'm gonna give two I'm gonna give like the uh I guess the expected answer like when I was like a scrappy little swimmer like I never was really like big on the national scene or anything like that um and kind of when I I won silver in the 4am at Europe my European juniors and that was like a wow moment to me and that kind of really opened my eyes but more so than that I think the past few years like winter nationals has definitely been like my proudest moment I shed a lot of happy tears <laughs> but it was just to to be able to come back into the sport to love it to be competitive and to be posting like some pretty solid times like after years and years and years of being injured and being ill and struggling with an eating disorder and like there is like is not many people who thought I would make it through that like the vast majority of swimmers have at one point or another through no fault of their own thought I'd quit sport and yeah not many people thought I'd still be here but I am <laughs> so you're not getting rid of me yet <laughs> so yeah definitely that and my parents got to be there as well and literally all of the way through my kind of injury kind of periods I was like don't come and watch me I'm going to be angry and I'm going to be sad and you don't need to see that um so to actually like have my mum my dad and my sister all come to watch kind of on the last day of winter nationals was like a really special mm. moment mm. I will say as afar we have been quietly watching <laughs> kind of the, the, it, it's an example for all to stick with it and stay in the sport I really yes. think it is yeah. um, in training what is the hardest set you've ever done and you're Sheffield so I know there's some time <laughs> <laughs> I don't know like mm, I really really enjoy the like the sets you look at and you go that's going to be impossible and um, I'm actually going to go the other way, like given that we, or you briefly touched on like female athlete health and stuff the other day. So we were out before trials, we were on training camp at Playtas and um, I was just having the worst week. Like we were doing broken 400 IMs and at the start we had like a, just a 400 IM dive from Max and I went like 523. And I, I was going that time when I was like 11 years old and I touched the wall and I looked at my coach and he was just like, what's going on? And I was like, what's going on? And I could not have gone faster at all. And I was swimming dire and trousers two weeks away. And I was like, what is happening to my body? And then the day after I started my period and I hadn't been expecting it. And I was like, oh, that's what's happening to my body. So like, yeah, that's probably my hardest set, like mentally, because I was just something was really wrong with my body. It was just not complying with anything. I couldn't even swim a 50 hard properly um so like yeah I don't know for me the hardest sets aren't the sets that are long or difficult it's the ones where you've got something else going on that makes them hard oh. I'm so bad at quick fire these are not quick fire no, no, these no. are long <laughs> fire they're actually really interesting <laughs> I, I feel like we could have a whole nother point I know, I know. that's fascinating um what is your pre-race song do you know what I don't have one anymore um, it used to be Bonfire by Childish Gambino, but um, I get really, I don't know, I just used to get really obsessed with the exact second. The song had to finish at the right time. And if it didn't finish oh. at the right time, I'd be rewinding it and skipping around and trying to get it to finish at the right time. And I realised I'd just swim better if I don't have music on, which makes me sad because I love the like visual of people like bopping like, before a race and nah, it just stresses me out. <laughs> I'm better if I don't have music, sadly. Wow. 
<laughs> um, and if you were to go on a road trip, there's three spaces in the car. You can take friends, family, or celebrities. Who would you take with you? I mean, maybe I'm just feeling really sentimental today, but I kind of alluded to this earlier. Like, I've never really been that interested in, like, celeb stuff. And frankly, I do not have enough time for the people in my life. <laughs> so I would choose uh, my other half, who you probably saw at some point flitting in the background, um, and Luke and Ellie, who are two of my very best friends. Luke actually used to be an excellent two and a fly swimmer uh, back in the day. And yeah, those those two were kind of like my absolute rock during COVID. Um, so I was kind of living by myself through a lot of it and literally round, they were my bubble. This was all legal, don't worry, listeners. <laughs> There's no um, <laughs> be a gate over here. But um, yeah, they, they really kind of have got me through so many things. Um, yeah, and pretty much family. So just the opportunity to actually coordinate the three of the four of our calendars would <laughs> yeah. be a dream. It's always tough nowadays, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brilliant so, yeah. answers. I, I that sums up this podcast very, very well. I think I know you said they were long, but I, I think they were perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Amber, thank you so much for coming on and just talking a little bit more. I know we could have talked in so much more depth about so many more topics within this podcast but i hope if this does anything it is just to open up a conversation we say it every year just start a conversation yeah we're going to put links in the description as scott said uh earlier uh so do go and check those out but i'm just going to reiterate what i said just seek advice if you're really struggling speak to your friends open up to everyone uh because help will be will be there Definitely. So that just about rounds up this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, please do so on YouTube. And we will be having a parent support live stream on Sunday. I think I said Saturday earlier on Sunday, the 15th of May at 10 a.m. Just talking about our own stories as well. And hopefully there's even more relatable conversations that can come out of that. Um, yep. Dan, I will see you in seven days time. Yes, thank you very much, Amber. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. You've been listening to the Propulsion Swimming Podcast with Scott and Dan. We want to thank you for joining us and invite you to subscribe to the show as well as checking out the Propulsion Swimming YouTube channel for weekly tutorials and videos to get your swimming fix. We will be back next week. Until then, we'll catch you on the next one.